Every day, Comcast Business is helping businesses big and small go beyond the expected to do the extraordinary. Because beyond a simple transaction, there is making a customer for life. Comcast Business. Beyond fast. Take your business beyond at ComcastBusiness.com. Broadcasting live from the Pro Business Channel studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Capital Club Radio. Brought to you by Flock Specialty Finance. Please welcome your host, Chairman and CEO, Michael Flock. Good morning and uh, welcome to this edition of Capital Club Radio. We are absolutely excited, delighted today to have Tim Bauer with us. Tim is the current president of Inside ARM and the IA Institute. Uh, Inside ARM, of course, as many of you know, is like the leading website information provider for the accounts receivable management industry. Tim is an industry veteran with a, an incredible resume. He could he could write the encyclopedia on the uh, the debt collection ARM industry over the last thirty years. Tim uh, got into the industry uh, right after law. Every day, Comcast Business is helping businesses big and small go beyond the expected to do the extraordinary. Because beyond a simple transaction, there is making a customer for life. Comcast Business, beyond fast. Take your business beyond at ComcastBusiness.com. School with the uh, law firm in Minneapolis, Meserly and Kramer, where he was head of that uh, credit and collection department. He then uh, joined uh, Nationwide Credit, running the legal products group. Following that, he uh, was uh, executive vice president for business development at RMA, a major collection agency years ago. Following that, uh, in 04 to 06, he was with Outsourcing Solution, Inc., OSI, took it out of bankruptcy, uh, then became, uh, was one of the leaders uh, uh, at uh, Academy Collection Service, Inc., ACS, from September 07 to February 09. And then he headed up a CEO of Integrity Solution Services, ISS, uh, Tim has many, many stories for us this morning, lessons learned, ups and downs of how to build businesses. Uh, Tim, how, tell us a little bit about your thought process, how you got into this space. Um, well, first of all, nobody goes to law school and says, you know, I, I can't wait to get out and be a collection lawyer. And uh, when I uh, got out, I got a uh, job offer from this firm, Messerly, Rowe, Balo, and Kramer back then. And... Uh, they took me in and said, listen, we don't know uh, which department we want to put you in. And th this firm was very interesting. They had a, uh, a small collection department. They had a lobbying practice in the state of Minnesota. And they had another part of the firm that did aviation crash cases, plaintiff's cases. So um, I came in and they said, well, you know, we're, we're hiring you and this other guy at the same time. He can't start right away. We need you right now in this credit department. And the guy who started two weeks after me went into the aviation crash business and, and is still doing it today. Aviation, wow. Yeah. Okay. And, well, not yeah. only that, right. it was um, very, very specialized. For the longest while, all they did was uh, crash cases involving C-130s. Okay. They it, Back in the mid-'80s, apparently, they were going down with uh, alarming okay. regularity. Uh -huh. But uh, So I got into this firm. Uh, we had this uh, collection practice. The guy who hired me uh, uh, left the firm and told everybody, well, I'm taking Tim with me. And and uh, I said, well, wait a minute. 
we never talked about that. I'm staying, and by the way, I'm I'm keeping this these clients, and uh, we're going to continue to grow this. So uh, that's how I got into that business. Right, and you were there. I think you said 15 years. 15 years, and you were running all the credit and collection operations. Yeah, we right? we were at the time the largest law firm uh, collection practice in Minnesota, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, we grew it uh, quite rapidly, mm-hmm. and it was a very large part of that part of that firm's practices. Mm-hmm. So why would you want to leave? Why, well, for nationwide credit, I'll well, tell you two yeah. two things. I I ran what I tell everybody was the squeakiest, cleanest law firm collection practice in the United States, and we did this work for fifteen years. And in that fifteen years, I had never gotten two things, which were very common in that uh, arena. One, I'd never got an ethics complaint, and uh, ethics complaints against collection lawyers are very, very common. That's Right after right. Uh, divorce lawyers, because mm-hmm. everybody goes through right. through a divorce, one party or the other, and in most cases, both think their lawyer did a rotten job, so they turn them into the ethics board. Mm-hmm. So I'd never gotten one of them, and I'd never uh, had a fair debt case against us. Mm-hmm. And uh, back to back, about two weeks apart, I got both. Mm-hmm. And uh, the ethics complaint was a, a letter on a federal student loan that was forwarded to uh, an individual that was uh, in a shelter for battered women. Mm-hmm. Very tra- tragic story. Mm-hmm. But the the director of the shelter thought that they should turn me into the ethics board for having this letter forwarded to there. Mm-hmm. And it was dismissed in about two weeks. But it was still, right. you know, having never gotten one of these things and you, and you get it and you see the Office of Professional Responsibility and the sweat starts pouring down your forehead. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then we uh, we got our first fair debt case mm-hmm. uh, against us, a lawyer up there uh, who I knew very well, thought it was a great idea to sue uh, the law firm, and uh, he named my partner in the lawsuit. And mm-hmm. I just said, this is nuts. And, uh, mm-hmm. and at the same time, I was approached by the leadership at uh, – it was actually back then it was the company called ACB. Mm-hmm. In Phoenix, and uh, you know, I was living in Minneapolis. Minneapolis, Phoenix, uh, weather-wise, uh, yeah. <laughs> not, not a tough call. Right, and uh, and uh, moved out there to this firm. Was actually the leadership was really way ahead of the game. They uh, they wanted to start up a legal forwarding uh, department and brought me in to do that. Okay. Head of the game, meaning that was a new collection process that could make a difference in results? Or? Well, a lot of the old-time collection agencies had uh, lawyers on retainer where they – to me, it was disgusting. They they basically rented their lawyer's letterhead and sent out a bunch of letters under lawyer's right. letterhead. I wouldn't have anything to do with that. And uh, so we decided we were going to uh, put more accounts into the litigation process mm-hmm. earlier mm-hmm. and uh, and engage – the top lawyers throughout the country uh, mm-hmm. to do that. Mm-hmm. So it was a re-engineering opportunity. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. And you brought your expertise in legal collections to the game. And, yeah. Okay. I had actually in my law firm we started what was then the first legal network out there. Okay. Um, it was a group called uh, AACA. Okay. We all we all have either three or four stupid initials, but uh, um, this was American Association of Creditors Attorneys. Okay. And and, it still exists. Yeah, it still exists. And uh, we started that, and uh, I went out and recruited the clients to put the yep. first volume of accounts through that network. Okay. And how much difference did it make for the results of ACB, which I guess later became Nationwide? What, well, what was the impact? First of all, I was I was there for about two months, and ACB and Nationwide merged. Okay. And, and that uh, was the Frank Hanna company. That that was the Nationwide, nationwide the acquired bank. ACB. And it was owned. 
<clears throat> by First Financial here in Atlanta. Okay. And that was it, Pat, uh, who was the owner of uh, ACB. His name was. Uh, oh, um, by that time it was owned by uh, First Data okay. when I got there. So okay. First Data owned okay. ACB, and First Financial owned Nationwide. And First Financial and First Data merged. Put them together. Right. Yeah. yeah. And the ACB management team was convinced they were going to run the whole show. Yep. Yep. A month later, I was the only member of the senior management team at ACB left standing. Everybody else was gone. So it was a clash of cultures or organizations? Yeah, well, it was, you know, anytime you do any mergers, and we can talk about this later, but um, you don't need three shortstops. Right. You just, uh, you you have to make some hard decisions. Yeah. So, uh, and then uh, um, the management team here uh, in Atlanta that ran nationwide asked me to come out uh, and move, move out here, and I did. And you ran the legal collection network for Nationwide then? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Okay. And uh, and then I got recruited away to uh, join RMA. Uh huh. Uh huh. What were some of the lessons learned? Uh, lessons learned then throughout that transition from, you know, ACB Nationwide and then to RMA. What? Well, I will tell you what, what I did learn very quickly. Having never been involved in any uh, law firm mergers, um, you have to uh, make decisions quickly, and you can't. Uh, do anything other than decide best of the best. You, mm-hmm. you, again, you don't need two shortstops. You don't need three shortstops. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't need two chief operating officers. Mm-hmm. We don't need uh, uh, two uh, head of ITs. You've, you've got to make the decision. In it, but what you've got to do is take a look at strengths of both mm-hmm. and make the decision and live with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how did you get through some of those uh, days where the management teams were clashing? Were you a, like an arbitrator? Did you try to the teams together what well uh, on the first one with the acb and uh and uh, nationwide i was more of an observer mm-hmm. um as i moved throughout uh, in my career when i went to rma we began mm-hmm. acquiring companies mm-hmm. and so we were involved in the decision making process mm-hmm. uh, as we made the acquisitions and some decisions are so obvious that it doesn't take a ton of skill right um to make we we bought a company from Equifax mm-hmm. back in the day. Uh, they had they had bought a company called CSC uh, okay. Credit Services. They were an agency. They had um, I want to I want to say something like fourteen offices, uh-huh. all small, right? Couple couple fairly large, right? But we uh, we we during our due, due diligence process, we began to look and said, well. It doesn't make any sense to have all of mm-hmm. these offices. We had a, a small office in Lafayette, Indiana, another right. office in Indianapolis. And even our financial analysts could come in and say, you know what? At the end of the day, right. we need these three offices or these four offices, whatever it was, and we're going to merge the other ones into them. Right. So uh, so is merging real estate, merging infrastructure, organizations? Yep. Um, You've you got to take a look at all of it. You know, You have to take a look at leases. You know, you you may have an office that you would otherwise say it's too small to keep, but you've got a seven-year mm-hmm. uh, lease that you've got to deal with, mm-hmm. um, things like that. Mm-hmm. And inevitably, I think a lot of these consolidation plays, though, affect people, and people have relationships with customers. How did you navigate through that? You know, the one thing I learned in, in doing all these acquisitions is, first of all, uh, confidentiality about the deal and is – of the utmost important. The minute word gets out that uh, you're, the company that you're looking at is is for sale, um, people get nervous. 
Mm-hmm. And and it's human nature. If I if I'm at a company that I, I hear through the grapevine or the coffee uh, uh, clatch conversation, oh, did you hear we're getting sold? Mm-hmm. Um, people get nervous, and people that you don't want to leave mm-hmm. leave. Mm-hmm. So um, w- the one thing I learned is confidentiality is everything. And so later in my life, when when, when I was at Integrity and we made. Uh, I think five different acquisitions. I was most proud of the fact that on every one of them, I had people call me up and said, "You know what? We didn't hear a word about this mm-hmm. until the so day." That's but, the number one lesson yeah, learned. Confidentiality. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, there, there is, um, you know, the uh, certainly challenges th- that way because you need to, if you were selling, you mm-hmm. need to bring in certain portions of your team into the loop, mm-hmm. but. Um, you know, you've got to uh, impress upon those people the need to, this is mm-hmm. need to know only. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And did you have to make an assessments on, I mean, the people, their personalities, their skill sets, their history, their customer relationships? And how, well, there, how there, there's ton, tons of way to, ways to look at it. You start, you know, for instance, um, IT is of utmost importance. Right. And so you begin to look at, um, systems in in a perfect world, the acquisition you would make um, is a company that's on the exact same platform that you're on, and so that you can make that that uh, transfer mm-hmm. very easily. Mm-hmm. If not, you've got multiple platforms right. that you're going to have to deal with. You've got increased expense to maintain multiple platforms. Um, you've got data in different formats in different locations it's hard to combine the data you you end up having to create a data warehouse and mm-hmm. funnel information up to the, the data warehouse mm-hmm. so uh, it is one of the, the first times you look at um we talked about real estate big item mm-hmm. um the other in, in to me and and this was an area where i always focused uh, in our team was the clients okay is uh, it didn't uh, make sense if i were a buyer, for instance, and, a, and my largest client was ABC Bank, it didn't make sense for me to buy a company that whose largest client was ABC Bank because in our industry, most clients get nervous to concentrate that much work in one company. So, you know, if you make that deal, you're immediately devaluing the company you just bought because you're not going to be able to maintain both market shares. Um, and the other thing is is <clears throat> this whole discussion about confidentiality, it also comes into play with clients. As a seller, you want to control when you're going to tell the clients. Right. As a buyer, I'm not going to do the deal. I'm not going to close Without until, I, until I talk to these clients. Right. So that's, that's friction right from the start as to when that happens. Right. And you have to come up with a point in time where both parties agree, okay, mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. we can go talk. Mm-hmm. So you really developed lots of uh, M&A experience and expertise along the way. I mean, you started in legal collections, uh, but it sounds like your your job, you know, at also at RMA, you were in business development, but you were also involved in acquiring businesses. Yep. So you really built, you know, your personal kind of skill portfolio along the way as well. Yeah, I because you were never an M and A guy. No, initially. not 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 at all. And so you you learned on the fly on what uh, what was important. But at RMA. We, we had a, uh, a team of uh, 
senior execs that were involved in, in every transaction, mm-hmm. and we all took our little section of this. But mm-hmm. as you get into uh, meetings every day, you learn, right. you know, from the IT guys what's important. Right. And I learned from the HR people what's important, you uh-huh. know. Uh-huh. Um, who's got employment contracts, who does not, who do we need to give an, uh, an employment contract to that, right. uh, to maintain the value of an acquisition, right. things like that. Because RMA, you were head of business development, right? And then I then I was chief operating officer for okay. three, four years as well. Okay. And that's when you got involved in all the M&A work? Well, and RMA actually, did? you know, when I went to RMA, I think I was employee number four. Okay. So um, we did everything. Right. And... Uh, you got you got a little flavor of everything, but after the first acquisition, then we uh, we we oddly enough, mm-hmm. uh, the first acquisition um, was a company up in Minnesota, mm-hmm. and so which one was that? It was a company that was uh, called uh, Credit Converters. Okay, uh, and the guy that that owned it was a legend in the industry, a guy by the name of Jack Hurley. Okay, okay, um, and uh, Jack was just a quick uh, side story. Jack was a legendary big game hunter, mm-hmm. and uh, I mean, uh, internationally known. Well, our big mm-hmm. game hunter, and mm-hmm. if you went up to the office there, they had all of the, these animals on the walls everywhere. And uh, um, you know, it's not me. I mean, I'm not a hunter, and, and I, I I don't really get it. But and, but I thought you know, this this is what this guy likes. The one I never really understood was the zebra. I, I didn't understand why why anybody would want to go shoot a zebra, but um, and it, it was an interesting deal. Um, right before we closed on that, he, they uh, were telling us they had a hot prospect lined up, and I won't say who it is, but it was one of the major credit card, credit card providers out there. Yeah. And they were down to the uh-huh. client was just going to do a, the last site visit before right. placement started, and the lady showed up, walked into the office, saw all of the. Uh, Stuffed animals. Yeah, walked out. Said, "I'm really? not doing business with these guys." Wow, because they're hunters. Yeah, because yeah, it yeah. just uh, it was. Yeah. She found it offensive. Offensive. Yeah, it's interesting. So, so you weren't uh, politically or culturally correct, I guess. Um, I, I I was, but yeah, <laughs> but, but uh, right. The uh, speaking of culture, by the way, you haven't touched on that, and I know just from my own experience. That cultural values can clash sometimes in mergers and acquisitions, and I never really thought it was important until later when I was running companies for Dun & Bradstreet, and I saw, wow, you know, shared values are critical. What stories do you have where uh, that was something you learned? Well, you know, it, it is when interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I uh, when I went to and started uh, – um, integrity. I went in and uh, was working with a private equity group out of uh, Miami called HIG Capital. Mm-hmm. They've also got uh, an, an office here in uh, the Atlanta area. Right. And they still on track? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember talking to them about what the ideal transaction would be. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, listen, to me, the ideal transaction is we find the company that we like, mm-hmm. we negotiate the right price, mm-hmm. and you give the former owner a bushel basket full of money and say, please go away. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, because particularly if you're putting companies together, you're often going to make changes to one or two companies. And mm-hmm. the, it's like telling the former owner their baby was ugly. Mm-hmm. Any change you make, it's just human nature. Right. 
Um, however, back when we did RMA, and this is, again, things you learn over a period of time, um, because of the financial markets were such that doing those kind of, kind of deals of here, take your money, go, and uh, mm-hmm. um, you just couldn't do that deal. Mm-hmm. So you had to do deals where former owners stayed, right. had earnouts, right, and that is where culture was really a challenge because you've got a former owner who's got a chunk of money now, right? More than likely, not the same incentive to work as hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, as they did before, right? Um, and you are inevitably going to make some changes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you also get um, saddled with uh, uh, some of the management team that perhaps you wouldn't, you in perfect world you wouldn't want. Mm-hmm. But that's because the deal had to be done in that fashion, and because there's an earnout, you couldn't make those management exactly. changes, right? Exactly. So you were sort of frozen. Yeah, yeah. Real challenge. Uh huh. Uh huh. Now at OSI, you said you took that out of bankruptcy. Well, I don't. So. I, I I can't take credit for that. Uh, I was one of the, uh, one of the man, uh, part of the management team. Uh-huh. Uh, I came on just as um, they were exiting, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, what uh, what they asked me to do there was uh, relaunch their portfolio purchasing okay. arm, which they had shut down. Right. Uh, and uh, and how did were, you do that? How did you relaunch it? Well, the, I'll come back to that. But my okay. other uh, piece of that was running the um, sales team. Okay. So w- we got into the debt buying world at, at OSI, and we had some deals that we had uh, uh, done in the bag that were in the bag before I got there. And so we had some ongoing transactions, and we did one very large deal that was the largest transaction they had ever done at the time. But what we found out was. Um, debt buying at that period of time was um, absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. Prices were stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, stupid high. Stupid high. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, we were uh, were bidding on portfolios, and I, I used to say we we're not even in the. Uh, this is oh six oh seven. Yeah, yeah, we're not even in the wedding party. We're right. we're so far removed from the price needed to get that uh, deal mm-hmm. done. Mm-hmm. And so I was there about a year and a half, and uh, mm-hmm. was talking to uh, the management team. I said, "We can't get a deal mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because we we our model, and they had terrific modeling, but their modeling was based on their historical results on earlier paper, right? And our model would say eight cents, and right. and that paper was selling for twelve cents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we, we uh, it was a it was a real challenging time." Mm-hmm. Now, in OSI and RMA and Nationwide, these were other businesses that someone else had started. You helped take them to the next step. Uh, it, as CEO of Integrity Solution Services, however, that was your baby, wasn't it? Yeah. That was what you personally initiated. Yep. Share with our listeners what really inspired you, what motivated you to personally start that at a time when a lot of other other deals like that weren't working out. Well, and I'll back up just before that. I, I did what I uh, what I tell everybody was the most professionally rewarding um, deal of my life. I got a call to uh, talk to the owner of uh, Academy Collection Services up uh, okay. out of Philadelphia, and they were going through an FTC investigation mm-hmm. at the time, and uh, it did not look good for them. And so mm-hmm. they asked me if I would come up um, as uh, 
president of the company and get them through the uh, mm -hmm. FTC investigation, mm -hmm. um, get the case settled, and, uh, right. and move on. And I remember we, I get up there, and we finally got a meeting with the FTC. Right. And uh, they were going to present to us what the findings they had. Right. And uh, we, we were in their offices in New York, and the, the chief person there said, uh, okay, Mr. Bauer, we know you've got a lot of questions, but uh, we just have one of you first. And I said, well, what's that? And they go, what are you doing with these guys? <laughs> um, uh -huh. you know, they, they had quite a history. They, they, they had a lot of uh, very bad data. They had a site in Las Vegas that uh, really had some challenges. And mm -hmm. so and I remember when I – Operational challenges or um, legal, legal um, compliance, compliance, challenge, compliance challenges. Okay. I remember when I got done with that meeting. It was a Friday afternoon, <clears throat> and I came home that uh, that afternoon, thought about it all weekend. And I got on a flight to Las Vegas on Monday morning, and I went out and fired the top three guys in the branch. And you know, just you're gone, wow. you're gone, you're gone because of compliance. Because, because of compliance mm -hmm. and uh, flagrant violations. It was or, it was yeah. uh, over the top. Okay. And I okay. um, brought in a friend of mine who, you, you can't make this up, but the, the, this guy had been in the hospital in a medically induced coma and had been out a couple of weeks, three weeks. And I called him up and I said, uh, Rich, <laughs> how you feeling? And he goes, oh, I'm getting better. And I said, well, what do you think about going out to Las Vegas for me? And it's a true story. And right. he went out there. Um, and uh, he ended up firing three or four more people down the line. After he came out of this medically-induced yeah. coma? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Again, <laughs> you, you, you can't make it up. Uh-huh. But uh, so that we did that. Uh, we got the FCC. He, he must have liked turnarounds, I guess, and he liked to follow your lead. <laughs> Rich was, he was just one of the all-time uh, great guys. That uh, What's his last name? Plaka. Plaka. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And uh, he did a terrific job for uh -huh. me. So you turned around Academy. Well, collection. I don't want to say we turned it around. We got the case settled, and the company got you fixed sold. the compliance yeah. problems. We, uh, we had to do a lot of uh, uh, cleanup. And uh, to their credit, they had started a lot of it before I got there. But they, right. the people that the FTC had uh, identified, they had actually named them in the complaint. We're still working there. Right. And I, right. I said, this is crazy. Right. And. Uh, so what was your vision, though, now to Integrity okay, Station so, Service? That was the last <clears throat> deal you did, and that yeah. was your baby. You were the founder of it. Yeah. Share with our listeners a little bit your, about your dreams and how you got started. And Well, again, I, I had been you know involved in, in uh, RMA where we did a bunch of uh, roll-ups nationwide, which had been a, a bunch of roll-ups, and OSI had been a bunch of roll-ups by the time I got in there. And I, I thought, geez, I've, I've seen good, the good, the bad. I, I, I've seen things that uh, we would do differently. Uh, in hindsight, and uh, uh, convinced the uh, the people at HIG that this was a good idea to get into this. Mm -hmm. I remember my pitch was, uh, you know, the industry is at its all-time low, mm -hmm. um, and uh, we'll be able to make uh, decent buys because the profits were down. Uh, you know, all the things. But the that, price of deals were low. The price of deals were low. Right, because of the yeah, and uh, and so. What my pitch was was to do the acquisitions exactly as I mentioned before, is, is give the former owners a bushel basket full of money, have them go away. Right. We couldn't do that uh, because uh, to get deals funded. Um, so and, you had earnouts then? Yeah. Okay. Earnouts and uh, on every deal we did. Right. And uh, so that created a complication, I guess, for the management integration. Yes, in incredibly so. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, in a, in a perfect world, if I could do it differently, right. I would. Uh -huh. But uh, we did deals to get them done, and okay. 
Um, so Integrity made um, uh, three acquisitions. And they were? Trump, NARS. NARS. Uh, Pinnacle. Pinnacle. Out of Minneapolis. And Integrity. Okay. Uh, which then we used that name out of um, Kansas City. Kansas City. Uh, A.L. Summerlin's okay. uh, uh, company. That's right. And again, we... We ended up with three systems. Mm-hmm. We were on three different platforms. Had to make decisions to get to that. And it, and again, you you can uh, easily say this. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're going to go to this platform, but harder to do. Oh, conversions can be nightmares. Con- conversions are. Did it keep challenge. you up at night? Uh, it kept the IT people up at night. Okay. And uh, and uh, you know the, the old line. I slept like a baby. I just got up every hour and cried. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, okay. Okay. Um, but uh, uh, in te- Integrity was an interesting deal. We had um, uh, a lot of first-party outsourcing work, mm-hmm. and uh, we had facilities in uh, Jamaica mm-hmm. and in uh, Panama City, Panama. And what was interesting about that is the the uh, facility in Panama City, when I was at RMA, right. We had looked at this facility okay. to acquire it. Uh, it was j- and you, just you walked away from it then. Well, we, it wasn't the company. It was an em- back then. It was an empty Sears store. Okay, and uh, um, I couldn't convince uh, my boss at the time that this was the the way we should go. Right, and the people who owned Nars. Right. Um, they were. It's very funny. We talked to each other afterwards. They were in either a week before, or a week after me. Okay. Got the same tour that I did. Right. Um, same meeting with the uh, government officials, yep. et cetera. They they did the deal. We didn't. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. this was a terrific facility for a long time, um, until just before we sold um, Integrity. Mm-hmm. The. Um, Outgoing president mm-hmm. um, unilaterally waged uh, or raised minimum wage down there that right. just uh, took the price structure out of uh, yep. out of control. Mm-hmm. And when did you sell Integrity? Two years ago in right. uh, July. And the buyer was? Uh, it was initially a, uh, uh, a lady um, out of India, and she owned it for about 30 days and, and in turn sold it to uh, Radius. Okay. Gotcha. Michael Barrist again. Right. And, and Radius Steve, just and acquired Northlands. Yes. Came out. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah they have, they've been very active. It's mm-hmm. um, Michael and uh, Stephen were, you know, the key uh, guys at NCO. Right. And they were out of the business for a couple of years and have yep. come back in uh, quite right. nicely. So fast forward now to Inside ARM. Cause yeah. You went from being a founder, CEO of a, of a large uh, ARM services company. Now you're with the leading website information services provider in our industry. Tell us a little bit about your plan for that, and how did you make the leap, and how's it going? Well, I, I jokingly tell people that I got out of this lousy industry and stayed in this lousy industry all at the same time, in, in that um, I, I got tired of the litigious environment, the uh, TCPA cases, um, the fair debt cases and and the challenges of day to day business. Mm-hmm. Now I get to cover the industry and I get to write about it and I didn't throw away any of my contacts. Mm-hmm. So I, I get to, you know, talk to clients that I've had for right. uh, done work with forever and other agency people. Okay, and our listeners, you know, are, are I'm sure dying to know what your thoughts are on the implications of the Trump presidency for 
you know, our industry and the highly regulated, you know, nature of it, the CFPB, the TCPA. What, what, what are your thoughts on that, and what words of wisdom can you share well, with everyone? First of all, I don't know that anybody knows for sure, <laughs> but, uh, you know, things, things seem to be changing on a daily basis. But I think if you look at the two entities that have the biggest impact in our space, mm-hmm. you start, I'll start with the FCC mm-hmm. because of the TCPA. Um, the president-elect Trump will have two commissioners that he will appoint mm-hmm. um, after he is in office, mm-hmm. uh, which will flip that commission from a Democratic-controlled commission to a Republican-controlled uh, commission. Current Chairman Wheeler is Democrat. His term does not expire until 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, so that that could change things. Right. Uh, right. You know, we've gotten some... Their uh, rule that they proposed, their rulemaking back in July of 2015, mm-hmm. was uh, very anti-business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, particularly anti-businesses that had relationships with consumers. Right. You know, the arm industry has been killed by this term robocall. Right. Okay. And robocall, and that statute was designed uh-huh. to limit telemarketers who had no prior relationship with an individual mm-hmm. who were just randomly calling phone numbers, mm-hmm. okay? It has been twisted mm-hmm. to uh, uh, involve companies that have relationships with the, mm-hmm. the consumer. Mm-hmm. And any call made using an auto dialer, right. uh, automated telephone dialing system. Mm-hmm. And what, what it's done, it, it's turned the industry back 20 years to mm-hmm. making manual calls, right. uh, which put... Um, compliance risk out there because many people use the 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 equipment mm-hmm. to cover all the time zone restrictions and make sure they're call, you're calling the west coast only at times you can call right, the west right. coast etc and now you've you've said no we're, we're we don't want you to use any of that technology that was good right. um, so standardization yeah. becomes very difficult yeah. Yeah. because that's a robo dial right. a robo call right so that's that's hurt the bigger one the bigger issue everybody's looking at is what will become of the cfpb, CFPB. Mm-hmm. okay uh, Director Cordray's uh, term uh, expires in 2018 as well. There was a very recent case uh, decided in October uh, called PHH versus the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. And the the result of that case was a decision out of the Court of Appeals that said the structure of the CFPB as it stands mm-hmm. was unconstitutional. Mm-hmm. They have a single director that... Um, the president could only um, fire for cause. Mm-hmm. Okay, just last Friday, late Friday afternoon, the CFPB filed an appeal. But it's not truly an appeal. They've asked the Court of Appeals to hear the case again in, in bank, um, which means all members of the Court of Appeals, rather than the initial three-person panel that heard the case. Um, but. Highly unlikely that that will get heard mm-hmm. or in a decision out of that before the inauguration. Mm-hmm. So, in theory, there are lots of speculation. Will right. President-elect Trump right. um, terminate uh, Director Cordray? Mm-hmm. Will, will Director Cordray resign? Yep. Um, then there's the issue of rulemaking that's gone on. There, there are two rules that are rulemaking in CFPB yeah, or rulemaking with the in the FCC? CFPB. Okay. CFPB. They've okay. got. Three areas of rulemaking that really uh, are uh, very critical right now. One is in the arbitration rule. Mm-hmm. The CFPB would like to eliminate all mandatory arbitration clauses mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that we can create more class action litigation right. for uh, class action lawyers. 
I may be the only lawyer in the world who hates class action litigation. <laughs> I think so. Um, and uh, so um, that was fairly far along. And the question is, will they? Will the CFPB try to get that through before the uh, mm-hmm. uh, inauguration? I doubt it. Mm-hmm. Um, Payday lending rules, mm. um, another hot hot topic, and then the one that we're all interested in in the arm industry are the debt collection rules. Right, and you know the, the the issue there is they have they have gone so far as to issue an outline of proposed rules. Right, and they had what they call a sabrifa mm-hmm. um, he- hearing, which is meeting with small businesses to talk about the financial impact of their proposed rules, um, but. So everything's up in the air. Will the rulemaking go forward mm-hmm. um, under a new regime? Will they stall somehow? Will it uh, will it um, go forward faster? And will will priorities change? And I I, I personally think here my thought is I I think it it's potentially likely that the CFPB will be restructured as a commission, like the so it won't be eliminated. Completely. No, I yeah. I you know it's hard to argue. Right. against consumer protection. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, those of us in the arm industry, we would love to see some more regulation uh, on the FDCPA. It's a statute from 1977, completely right. outdated, doesn't uh, address issues of how consumers want to be contacted today. They want to be contacted on their cell phone, mm-hmm. text, emails. They don't want to be called on the phone. Mm-hmm. But you've got a statute that doesn't address that at all. Right. So... But I, I, if I would bet, and 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 I don't gamble, because, <laughs> but if I would, I would say it gets reconstituted as a commission, uh, five-person commission, and rulemaking continues, um, but perhaps with more pro-business um, leaning on a couple critical issues. And the the one most critical is the number of call attempts, mm-hmm. um, the outline. Has, that of proposals that is out there right now has got fairly re, uh, mm-hmm. st- stringent restrictions on number of attempts to call a person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Tim, it seems like your career has come full circle here in the last 30 years. You started in legal collections. Uh, you got into operations. You got into business development, doing M&A work, became a founder of a, of a major collection agency, and now, you know, president of uh, Inside ARM, and you're back into the focus on legal again uh, because of the compliance issues which dominate the industry. We're going to wrap it up. What parting kind of words of wisdom do you have for uh, other younger Tim Bowers that are coming up in the industry today? What what would you like to share with them in closing? Well, you know, that's a good question because and I, this just came up. Uh, I had uh, breakfast the other day with uh, an individual that's a chief compliance officer at a uh, company here in Atlanta. And uh, I was asked this very same question. And I said, you know what? Um, get diverse, spread out, get wide and deep. You know, mm-hmm. you, you've got your legal background that'll never leave you. Um, and if you want to practice law again, you can practice law again. I, I have I, I have no desire to do that. Right. But um, if asked to get involved in operations or asked to get involved in mm-hmm. HR, mm-hmm. do it. Because I think the legal background, background is something that everybody always will see and say, well, okay, they, that, that's a skill set, a way of thinking that we can use. But if you've got um, exposure to these other areas, you can do a lot more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Go wide and deep. Yep. That's, that's your advice for young people coming up in this space. That's what we used to tell our sales team about uh, clients. Yeah. Go, go wide, go deep. Well, that's exactly what you did in, in your 30 years in this industry. And 
Tim, again, many, many thanks for uh, taking our listeners uh, through your history in the, uh, in the ARM industry and implications for the future. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining Michael Flock and his guests on the Capital Club Radio Show. For more information on future interviews, please visit us at flockfinance.com. This program is brought to you by Flock Specialty Finance, where clients are provided knowledge and insights to help them grow their business in complex and risky markets. Flock is more than a transaction. Security threats are everywhere. But with Xfinity XFi, you're notified of threats to your in-home Wi-Fi network, so all your connected devices are protected. That's simple, easy, awesome. Switch to Xfinity today and get a great offer. You'll get the best in-home Wi-Fi experience with Xfinity XFi. Plus, you'll get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway. That's a $72 value per year. No other provider offers this. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today. Restrictions apply. Every day, Comcast Business is helping businesses big and small go beyond the expected to do the extraordinary. Because beyond a simple transaction, there is making a customer for life. Comcast Business. Beyond fast. Take your business beyond at ComcastBusiness.com.